Hello and welcome into another episode of the Fail Mary podcast. We are three weeks down and there are only seven teams remaining undefeated in the league. Let's start again with the results from this weekend. Thursday night football, the Dolphins beat the Jaguars 31-13. That's Miami's first win by more than 10 points since 2017. Finally starting to be a more dominant and dynamic team, the Dolphins. Uh, the Falcons blew another league in the fourth quarter. They were 26 points to 10 up to the Bears, but managed to lose that one 30 to 26. We'll come back to that one. There's an exciting news on the Bears sideline. Um, the Bills. The Bills remained undefeated, 35-32 versus the Rams. There was a really big PI call against the Rams in the final quarter of this game. I don't have any sympathy because a big PI call is how the Rams got to the Super Bowl in the first place. So I think... The karma of the league has come back around to them. The Browns squished the Washington football team 34-20. Dwayne Haskins actually threw for more yards than Baker, but again, Kevin Stefanski doing a very good job of hiding his quarterback and letting the running game win for him. The Titans are also undefeated thanks to a game-winning field goal in the fourth quarter versus the Vikings. That one ended 31-30. The Vikings are still yet to win. The Patriots beat the Raiders 36-20. I'm a, I'm a really big Patriots fan at the moment. Uh, more about this game and the Patriots so far this season is on my YouTube channel. So just go and search the Fail Mary podcast on YouTube. And there's one about the Patriots that went up a few days ago. The 49ers hammered the Giants 36-9. The 49ers didn't have to punt once, which tells you a lot about how good the Giants are. Uh, there's a lot of Tannehill in Nick Mullins. He's not one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he very much gets the job done. The Eagles and the Bengals drew 23-23. This seems this one seemed appropriate for how the Eagles are in general this season. Uh, they got within field goal range in overtime and then managed to mess it up and penalty their way out of field goal range and Doug Peterson decided to punt instead. So that was a particularly impressive display from the Eagles once again messing up their own game. The Steelers still haven't lost a game. They won 28-21 versus the Texans, who still haven't won a game. Poor Deshaun Watson, but three Watts played in this game. JJ, TJ and Derek. That is the name of the third Watt brother. The Colts batter the Jets 36-7. New York are just kind of bad at football at the moment. Um, New York Giants and Jets both losing and only one touchdown between them. Rivers, Philip Rivers now has 400 plus passing TDs in the league. That's only the sixth quarterback in history to do so. So, well, good on him. The Chargers, a week after giving the Chiefs a game that went to overtime, lost to the Panthers, 21-16. Justin Herbert was asked to throw 49 times, so a week after Anthony Lynn said he wasn't their starting quarterback, he's now being asked to pretty much carry the team. And Teddy Bridgewater for the Panthers did a very good job of managing the game. The Cardinals couldn't get it done against the Lions. Kyle Murray threw three interceptions in this game, not one of his best performance in his second year. And that game finished 26-23. Brady got his second win of the season. The Bucks beat the Broncos 28-10. Driscoll's just not as good as Locke. And until Drew Locke's back, the Broncos aren't going to be an effective team. Mike Evans only had two catches in this game. Fortunately for him, they were both touchdowns. So as him and Brady build their chemistry, he's obviously a very good red zone target. The Seahawks made it three wins out of three over the Cowboys. Russell Wilson is still very much in MVP form. And Dak threw an interception on the final drive. It was an interesting play because he managed to keep it alive very impressively in a way that only a few quarterbacks in the league could do. And it was for a moment, it looked like he actually might make the big play and win the game for his team. But then instead, he threw 
for a pick. So that's what separates Dax from the likes of Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes at the moment. Uh, the Packers are also undefeated. They beat the Saints 37-30. Guess who the Saints leading receiver was? Alvin Kamara, their running back. Drew Brees still refusing to pass down the field. Although it is good for my fantasy team when he does that. So those are the results from the weekend, but we will start this week with what went on on Monday Night Football. So the the Ravens lost to the Chiefs. It was 24-34. That kind of does the Ravens a favour because they only actually scored one one offensive touchdown. The other one that they scored was a special teams touchdown, which was the first we've seen from the season. But again, does the Ravens a lot of favours. This game was not close. The Chiefs won every statistical matchup that matters. They had more than double the yards that the Ravens did. They didn't allow any sacks. The Ravens allowed four. Their time of possession was nearly eight minutes longer. That's usually about two or three possessions. And Lamar only managed 97 yards passing all evening. All in all, not a great week for the Ravens. And last week I said, I remember, before someone ats me on YouTube or something, I remember that I said I thought the 14, I thought that the Ravens could win it. So let me go back to why I thought this might happen. There's There's been two teams in the last in the last 16 games that have given Mahomes and the Chiefs a bit of a game. Last week the Chargers managed it and in the Super Bowl for three quarters the 49ers were doing really well. So I was looking at what those two teams had done well to limit Mahomes and then I looked at what the Ravens could do and I thought this could work because what the Chargers and the 49ers both did very well was generate pressure with only four people with their front four. The 49ers had Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and the rest of their defence doing very well. And last week, the Chargers had Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And what it forced Mahomes to do was try and play within the pocket. Now, it's not that he can't play within the pocket. He can. He's just not quite as dynamic and brilliant as when he's off trotting around. And I thought that the Ravens with a five front, which is what they play with, would have even more chance of this because they've got a good interior. And then that would just mean that the two outside linebackers all they have to do is just make sure he doesn't you know wander off so I was thinking that was my thought process that they just keep him in the pocket force him to play and then on top of that assert, assert a run game keep the ball away from him as much as possible and I think that's that's an acceptable game plan a lot of what you do against the Chiefs has to be how can we keep Mahomes either off the field or in one place where we can deal with him so I thought you know good secondary good defensive line the Ravens could get this done. Uh, none of that happened. He ran around all over the place. He made brilliant plays, as Mahomes tends to do, and again, wasn't a close affair. And it's it would be very easy to blame Lamar for this loss. You know, he's he's clearly got very little comeback ability. He's 0-5 when trailing by 10 points or more. Last season, he needed overtime twice when he was drawing at the start of the fourth quarter. And one of those games was against Doc Hodges and the Steelers. He's also got this slightly weird inferiority complex thing against Mahomes. He's like, he's 0-3 against the Chiefs and 21-1 and against everyone else in the regular season. And then after the game, he talked about the Chiefs and he described them as his kryptonite, which I, I really don't love because kryptonite, for people who don't know comic books that well, kryptonite is what beats Superman at all times, regardless of anything. So does he mean that whatever he does, he will always lose to the Chiefs forever? Is that, is that what he was implying when he said that they were his kryptonite? Or, I don't know, but didn't like how that one sounded at all. 
but to be fair to Lamar, this is this is who he is. He's he's a great runner, and he ran well last night. He's not a great thrower. He can he can make most throws, but he can't make the difficult throws when you need him to make them regularly in tight games. He can't make the throws to the sideline. He can't make the comeback routes, and that's. That's okay. A lot of quarterbacks can't, and you can actually win Super Bowls with an out, without an elite passing quarterback. The Eagles won one with Nick Foles, but they've also not given him a particularly good receiving core. So when they do need this comeback ability, who's who's going to make the play? If it can't be Lamar with his feet, and it's got to be Lamar with his arm, then is it is it is it Nick Boyle? Is it Marquise Brown in his second year? I just there's no there's no standout star that Lamar can just make a play with. But I was looking at this game on the on the NFL website, and there's one statistic that I find even more worrying, and that's that the Ravens have lost 20 consecutive games when they're trailing at halftime. Let me repeat that for you. The Ravens have lost 20 consecutive games when they're trailing at halftime. 20. That's longer than a season. Lamar hasn't trailed at halftime a lot these days. 20 games is longer than a season. So it, it can't just be Lamar. This has got to be, this is going back to the Flacco days. This is a systematic problem. And if it's not just Lamar's fault, then is it John Harbour? Is it his coaching? Is it the play calling? Does he just build teams that can't, that don't have comeback DNA, that can't make the big play? They haven't had a particularly strong receiving group in a while. So where does this comeback come from? It doesn't seem to be something that exists anymore within the Ravens organisation. And I think ultimately the answer is probably a bit of everything. But either way, whilst Mahomes and Andy Reid are in the AFC, I really don't see how the Ravens are ever going to make a Super Bowl. Because eventually in the playoffs, you're going to be behind and you're going to have to pull out a comeback. And... Whether it's John Harbour can't coach them, can't make the right play calls, whether it's just that they're not set up to make quick plays and to catch up in a game where they're losing. Whatever it is, the Ravens have no comeback ability. And whilst it's easy to just say this is Lamar's fault, this is something that has been a problem for them for a while. And I think if they want to change this, then John Harbour and the ownership even have to take a step back and look at themselves and go... Why can't we win games when we're behind? Because that is a serious problem. The, the Chiefs won three games from behind in the playoffs last year. And the Ravens haven't won a game from behind when trailing at halftime for the last 20 times they've been there. That is really worrying. That is a really big problem. And the Ravens as an organisation really need to address this if they think they're ever going to overcome Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Moving on to more positive stories. The the Bears are currently 3-0 and they haven't lost a game. They've won every game by exactly four points. It's been three, you know, very comfortably beatable teams. They beat the Lions in week one. They beat the Giants last week. Pretty much everyone's going to beat the Giants. And this week it was the Falcons on this huge comeback. So, so they're all games that the Bears should have been comfortably winning. Now, the Falcons obviously have some problems of their own. But ignoring that, this was my favourite game of the week. And it's because the Bears were finally forced to solve their biggest problem. And his name is Mitchell Trubisky. At the start of the third quarter, Trubisky goes in again. He's not been having a good game. They're already 13 points behind. He manages two yards before throwing an interception. And Matt Nagy finally says, enough. You're out. I'm tired of you being rubbish. It's pointless having you in the team. Let's put Nick Foles in. 
And before I go any further, let's be clear. Matt Ryan was the best quarterback in this game by quite some distance. But I absolutely love Nick Foles. And this game was just such a good example of why. My theory is that everyone knows a Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky is that kid at school who was sort of just bigger and stronger than everyone else and thought that that meant that he was really good at sports and being an athlete as well. And it wasn't actually particularly good, but he could just sort of push people around, rough people up and win in one way or another. Uh, and then one day the kid eventually comes up against someone bigger and stronger and faster and meaner, but by then they're already too far along the annoying, arrogant road and instead of just accepting that he's not as much of an athletic stud as he thought he was, he gets all hitty and stroppy and cries about it and blames everyone else and then goes to cry to his mum. That's that's what I think Trubisky is. Trubisky went to a nice school in Ohio and then he went to a nice college in North Carolina, which is in the ACC, one of the sort of the softer college divisions, where he rivals at other nice colleges like Duke and Virginia and Wake Forest. And if you haven't heard of them, there's a reason for that. They're not particularly good at American football when you compare them to the likes of Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or LSU. And then he gets drafted way too high in the draft, second overall, above Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I'm sure the Bears are really glad they did that. And he enters the league still thinking that he's the big man. And then finally, finally, he starts playing in the league and the league is full of people who were the big man at, at their schools, at their colleges. And Trubisky learns really fast that he isn't the fastest or the strongest on the field anymore, that he can't just run around and make plays against these guys, and that it really hurts when he tries, and that maybe he should have spent less time on the bench press and more time practicing accurate throws. But it's too late, this is who he is now, so he turns off all the TVs in the facility so he can't hear pundits criticising him. That is something that he actually did it was reported from Bears training camp. No TVs in the facility because he didn't like hearing the criticism. So that's Trubisky. Foles, Foles is different. Foles isn't an athletic player. He's tall. He's six foot six, but kind of a bit lanky and gangly. And he got benched in college and replaced by a quarterback who could run around. And he wasn't drafted until the third round. But unlike Trubisky, Foles understands that being a quarterback in the NFL a majority of the time is about the really boring and unsexy stuff. It's about knowing the playbook. It's about standing in the pocket. It's about understanding and reading defences. about going through your reads. It's about understanding scheme. All the stuff that Trubisky thought he wouldn't really need to know because he could just make the play. Foles is amazing at. And because he understands it's a team effort, he doesn't have an absolute breakdown every time he makes a mistake. On his first drive in the game, he throws an unlucky pick and is completely, wonderfully unfazed. It's fine. We'll get it next time. You know, we we need three touchdowns to win. It's going to be fine. It's all fine. Just everyone relax. And that's because he understands it. Because he understands that he has good receivers. He has a great head coach. He has a good defense. They have a run game. And even more importantly, he is incredibly unfazed by pressure in the game. If you go and watch his third touchdown throw, he waits the exact right amount of time for the play to develop, for his receiver to get open. He keeps his eyes downfield, doesn't worry at all about the pressure. Let's go at the last possible second, gets absolutely rocked by the defensive end who was rushing. But, that, but again, that's fine. Getting hit is part of the game. It's not a personal slight against your masculinity. Don't run away from it. Embrace it. 
work around it if you can. And Foles has already been named as the starter for week four against the Colts. And it's their first real test for the season. But this is the right decision for the Bears and the right decision for Matt Nagy moving forwards because Foles will get way more out of this team and out of Matt Nagy's scheme than Trubisky will. And it is so wonderful to see him back in the league. I wonder if Philadelphia would quite like someone like Foles right now. Oh, it's good to see Foles back in the league. Now let's head to the mailbag. And we've had an another lovely round of questions. Thanks very much once again for getting in contact. And you can find us on Twitter or YouTube if you want to contact us. That's at the Fail Mary podcast or at MK Fail Mary on Twitter. Question number one, who is the better quarterback prospect, Tua or Burrow, considering the level the Bengals and the Dolphins are currently at? Uh, good question. So we haven't seen Tua yet. So it's difficult to project what he'll be during in the league. And if they are starting to win under Fitzmagic, then it'll be interesting to see when we see Tua, if at all, this season. We've seen a lot of Burrow, probably too much, really. And he's spending an awful lot of time at the moment on his back. He actually got sacked eight times against Philadelphia and still managed to draw. My, my concern, first of all, Burrow is obviously playing amazing football given what he's surrounded by at the moment we've i've talked about him on my youtube channel very impressed with what burrow is doing and it would be difficult for Tua to come in and match that on a on a sort of just a skill and ability and what he's managed to get out of his team basis but the question is considering the levels the bengals and the dolphins are at my concern for burrow is that he's going to end up like andrew luck he's going to have a great but very brief career where he never actually wins anything because the first half of it is just spent on his back looking up at the the dome or wherever he's playing that week. And that would be a real shame because if he was in a great team, if they were to swap positions, then I think Burrow would probably be a better fit for Miami because currently, although we haven't seen anything from Tua, currently Burrow is showing everything you need for an elite quarterback. So that's my concern for Burrow. My concern for Tua, because... Tua is the less, he's more diminutive, he's not from the combine, we know that he's not quite as fast or as agile, but Tua sort of plays a bit more fast and agile, which is similar to the Trubisky problem. If Tua comes into the league and thinks he can just make plays with his feet, that's what got him injured in college, trying to make plays when he didn't need to with his feet. So actually playing behind Fitzpatrick might be really good because whilst Fitzpatrick is willing to run around and make the odd play... It's it's more in his locker to be the traditional standing quarterback. And Tua is more than capable of that. But he's not a Russell Wilson. He's not a Kyler Murray. He shouldn't be trying to run around too much. When he needs to, obviously make the play. But I would be very happy to see Tua, Tua come in sort of half through the season when Fitzmagic's thrown one too many picks. And he's an accurate enough thrower that he can put things on the money for the system that's working quite well and pick teams apart that way. I would be concerned if he tried to be too much of what Burrow is doing. He doesn't need to put Miami on his back. Burrow has to put Cincinnati on his back if they want anything. But but Miami are actually a reasonably competent team. So better prospect, given the situation, it, it just has to be it has to be Tua, doesn't it? Because Cincinnati are going. I mean, they haven't got a run game. They have a really good running back in Joe Mixon, but their run game is non-existent, and it's. It's almost like the rebuild that they've been doing is going in the wrong direction. They haven't picked up any offensive linemen for protection. Their defence still isn't great. 
They're in a really, really horrible division, so they're going to get beaten up all the time. I think long-term career, Tua is in a much better situation, although I prefer Burrow as a playmaker just because he has... I, I talk about dynamic quarterbacks a lot, but Burrow has the full package, whereas I think Tua is a bit more... He's, he's Baker Mayfield, but slightly faster and slightly more accurate, whereas Burrow can be sort of prime Carson Wentz, sort of Josh Allen-esque, maybe not quite that physical and strong, but up there, that sort of level. So it's good to see both from the league. I can't wait for Tua to start starting because he will eventually. You don't take someone that high, a draft pick, and then don't play them. And I think Tua has the brighter future ahead of him, but not just be- not because of his ability level. I think ability level, they're similar I'd probably lean slightly towards Joe Burrow. Thank you for the question, by the way. Question number two. Josh Allen, outsider for the MVP question mark? Uh, what? Hmm. So Josh Allen has been great so far. He's got 300 plus yards in every game for the Bills. He's genuinely quite a horrible running threat. I don't know if you saw Kyle Van Noy tried to tackle him and he just flattened this seasoned veteran linebacker, just threw him into the ground. It was really quite mean. Uh, but in the grand games, he had an 80-yard, 11-play touchdown drive to win the game. That's something we haven't seen from Allen before because it was it was really concise. It was sharp. It was accurate passing. It used his arm ability, but it didn't rely on it. Take away Russell Wilson, who's definitely the MVP so far, and he is he's up there in the conversation. MVP is also a bit weird because Lamar won it last year by doing two things really well. Lamar last year ran really well. And threw balls over the middle really well. Josh Allen this year is throwing deep balls over the middle incredibly well. Almost to the same level as Lamar's running. And then he has an exciting playmaking element to himself as well. But you can't take away how good the coaching for the Bills has been. Sean McDermott has done an excellent job. And they really aren't asking Allen to do the things they know he's not too good at. So none of the throws are particularly challenging. A lot of them are sort of open targets that have developed downfield. That really suits his strong arm. He's getting better at the short game, but he still doesn't throw outside the numbers into the sideline. There's still the odd element where he does something and you go, Oh, Josh, what are you doing? So, great supporting cast. I don't think that necessarily affects his MVP chances. I personally wouldn't pick him over Wilson or Mahomes at the moment, but he has been very dynamic and very exciting, and the Bills are really good to watch. And that division now, with the Bills and the Patriots, is going to be very, very close indeed. Thank you for your question. Question number three is Roethlisberger still a top 10 quarterback? Hmm. So they are top of the division. They're 3-0. They beat Houston. That's someone who I would argue is a better quarterback, but they got the win. What I like most about what Big Ben is doing at the moment is he has finally recognised that he's an old-timer in the league. Maybe it's because he had to deal with this injury, or maybe it's just that he's actually feeling his body a bit more but he's no longer a lot of what his game before was is because he's such a big physical presence he would just plant his feet in the middle not shift at all and just take hits all day and you can't when you get past the age of 35 you can't just get rocked over and over again and expect to be okay so he was pleasantly mobile against the Texans one of the touchdowns he threw he actually rolled threw it on the run whilst rolling right and I was like oh that was that was a touch of the Deshaun Watsons on that throw Ben careful well done so I like that he's looking after himself I like that he's getting rid of the ball is he a top 10 court well obviously he's not in the top tier he's not in the elite tier up there with Mahomes Watson uh Russell Wilson he's not he's not that good but then 
the level below, there's a lot of young playmakers who aren't in control of themselves yet, and then old veterans who haven't got the playmaking ability anymore. I would put I'd put Ben in that bracket. I think he's I think currently he's better than Breeze. Currently he's more accurate than Brady at the least. Um and he has less weapons to throw to. So I think he's def if not top ten, then he's definitely top fifteen. I I would put him to answer your question, yes. He <laughs> yes he is a top ten quarterback currently. You put still, um, which is brave. I don't think he was one last year, but he is sneaking back this year into the into the top ten. So it's been good to see it's good good to see the return of Big Ben. Um, thank you very much for your message. And that is the end of the mailbag. So looking forward to the weekend. Let's get on to the games to watch. The first one, no surprises here. Please, it's at 6pm. Please watch the Colts versus the Bears. This is going to be an amazing game. Not just because Nick Foles is playing, although that is obviously the main reason. But Frank Reich is the Colts head coach. He was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So he knows what Nick Foles is capable of. Uh, Matt Nagy, he's the head coach for the Bears. He was the quarterback coach when Doug Peterson was the offensive coordinator for Reed. And Doug Peterson is obviously where Frank Reich learned a lot of his head coaching. So Reich learned a lot from Peterson, who learned a lot from Reed. Matt Nagy learned a lot from Peterson, who learned a lot from Reed in different capacities. Interesting dynamics, similar tactics. Where this game ultimately is going to be settled is up front because the Colts like to run the ball and not ask too much of Philip Rivers, which is sensible. Uh, but the Bears' defensive line is very strong. It's particularly Khalil Mack, although there, there's a few on there that can stuff the run as well. Not to say the Colts' O-line is not great, by the way. It is. It's probably the best in the league at the moment. Rivers is still a little bit loose. It will come down to if if the Colts can establish the run and keep possession of the ball, then it was asking a lot of foals in his first week as a starter to pass the Colts' defence to death because it's a good defence as well. If the Bears can limit the Colts and it gets into a shootout where both teams are having to pass, then for me, Foles has the better receiver group and he's probably more accurate. He's also definitely more mobile, not because he is mobile, just because Rivers isn't, but... Due to Foles settling in, I would I would lean towards the Colts. I think this is a, this the Bears have a lot of work to do up front, and if they can get the ball in Foles' hand and keep the game close, then as we've seen, Nick Foles has great comeback ability. So this this is going to be an excellent game. That's at six p.m. and the late game. This one was easy as well, actually. The Patriots are playing the Chiefs. That's at nine twenty-five. The Chiefs are coming off a short week, which they'll have to had to do. They played on Monday night, obviously. They'll have been doing lots of preparation for the Ravens game. So this is two... It didn't end up being a tough game, but they were, the week in preparation for a Ravens game will always be difficult and quite specific. So now they've got to completely flip their game plan defensively and work out how to defend the Patriots, who are doing their own thing completely with Cam Newton and with this sort of misdirection, think and dunk, trick you offense, which is really fun to watch. But then on the other hand... Belichick, definitely the best defensive head coach of all time. Can he stop Mahomes? Can he keep Mahomes in the pocket? Can he force Mahomes to make the hard passes over and over again? That's what they need to do. They're missing Dante Hightower, at least, who's their best pass rusher. So how do they generate pressure up front against this Chiefs O-line, which is quite good? This is going to be... I can't even decide where this game would be won. If the Chiefs can just sort of nerdle the game along and stay ahead of the Patriots and ask Cam to do the work like the Seahawks did, then 
then you can maybe win it at the end. Or do the Chiefs just blow away and actually we find out that the Patriots and Cam is a, is a lot of misdirection and cleverness, but actually not that dynamic an offence. It's going to be interesting to see this one. I genuinely don't know because I'd never like to bet against Belichick. But I would suspect that for this week, and given the form that Mahomes and the Chiefs are in, this will be a Chiefs win. Probably in the fourth quarter, but a Chiefs win. So that, let me just remind you, sorry, of those games of the week. The 6 p.m. one is the Colts versus the Bears. And then at 9.25, the Patriots are playing the Chiefs. Cam against Mahomes. Can't wait. And that will end the show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, keep subscribing and watching the YouTube channel. I, I hope you're enjoying them. Some of you have messaged me and let you know that you are. So that's great. And I love your feedback. Thank you very much. And I will see you next week. Bye.